Whether you're a weekend warrior, a couch potato, or somewhere in between, I think this episode might have you thinking a bit differently about movement and your body. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the All Sorts Podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Nielsen, dietitian, lover of plants, and big old nerd for body science. If you've been a part of this community for a while, you might think that I've always taken care of myself, that eating well and exercising have always been, I don't know, effortless for me, but I'm going to be real with you. Until like the age of 17, I was utterly, totally inactive aside from when forced to move very slowly and clumsily, mind you, in phys ed. Seriously, the only movement that interested me was walking between the kitchen and the living room. I was not strong. Running one minute was difficult for me at a time in my life where I should have been in like my physical prime. So if you're like, I'm not fit, I'm an athlete, I get it. A love of movement and a natural relationship with and knowledge of how the body moves did not come that naturally to me which is why today's just the right amount of nerdy conversation with physiotherapist Andrew Sabare is exactly what the, well, physio ordered. Andrew has been a physiotherapist for over 20 years. He's a strength and conditioning specialist and former chief clinical officer of Myo Detox. And today we're having an in-depth conversation about how movement is critical to creating a healthy, resilient body for life not just to look cute in a swimsuit on vacation. I met Andrew when he helped me recover from an injury that left me hobbling around for days. And the level of care and intelligence with which he views the body and movement made me a super fan. And I think you will be too. So let's dive in. I am so looking forward to chatting with you about like, I don't know, I feel I feel like something that I don't welcome into my sphere enough is like talk about like movement and the body in and of itself. Well, one, because as a dietitian, I'm like, well, this is not my purview. This is not the thing that I know about. I know about food. I know about nutrition. But I'm so excited to talk to a physiotherapist because I think that A, and we have to talk about this, like a lot of people don't understand what a physiotherapist does. But B, we think of our bodies so much in our society as really about aesthetics as opposed to like the actual functioning and like integrity of like the physical vessel that we live our lives in. So I'm really looking forward to sort of unpacking like how how the body works, how it was designed to work and like what we can do to ensure that it does that, you know, for the rest of our lives so that we don't sort of lose function, which is definitely, I'm, I'm no athlete. So I'm like, I just want to stay healthy and like not lose function as I get older. That's really my big goal. It's like, I'm not going to be an Olympic athlete. I just want to be able to like do this stuff. So welcome to the All Swords podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. I feel like we should start with like, let's set the baseline of you are a physiotherapist. What does a physiotherapist actually do? And like, how do you become a physiotherapist? Because I, you know, like dietitians, people honestly, I think sometimes don't know what we do, but people may not realize just how much schooling goes into becoming a physiotherapist. Yeah. I mean, if we go back, like what a physiotherapist does, I think number one, our biggest responsibility is movement. 
And so if you look at all the different settings where physiotherapists can be found, whether or not it's in the hospital, whether or not it's working with um, people that have had cardiac surgeries or with brain trauma and or spinal cord injuries with children and um, where, you know, where you met me, which is in a, you know, private practice, orthopedic sports, physiotherapy kind of setting, our main responsibility is movement. And so we work on all the different components that contribute to movement. So that's not just muscles or bones, but there's also the nervous system, the cardiorespiratory system. So all these different systems that contribute to the production of movement. And so, you know, the schooling process for a physiotherapist is, yeah, it's definitely arduous. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> when I did it, like way back when, it was a bachelor's degree, and it's since progressed to, in Canada, the entry-level requirement is a master's degree of physical therapy, and in the U.S., a lot of places have gone into a doctorate. So that's, you know, four years undergrad, two years of getting your master's, or four years of your DPT, and then, then you're entry-level. Then you're, like, starting your journey as a physio. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's just like that. I know uh, dietetics, a lot of dietitians in the US, um, they have masters. It's not required, but it's starting to become like that in Canada too, where they're on the path to dietetics is already a five-year undergraduate degree mm -hmm. that they're like, oh, well, why don't we just add on another year and make it a master's? And then all dietitians will need a master's like just out of the starting gate, which is like, it's a lot of school, folks. It's a lot of school. <laughs> it, it is. And it's not cheap. So it's a big investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, I don't think it's a choice people take lightly. So I think most of the people that decide to go in its profession, as I would imagine dietetics as well, are pretty passionate. Yeah. I feel like it is something you have to like, to devote yourself right out of the gate to that much. Like you have to have so much passion. So like for you, were you always just like really athletic? Like what's your origin story? Like how did you actually get to be like, yes, I'm a hundred percent signing up for all of this. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I used to be very ashamed of my origin story when it came to physiotherapy. And it's because, quite honestly, I I did not have a personal experience with physiotherapy prior to getting into the program. I never had an injury that I've had injuries, but my parents didn't understand that physiotherapy was something that was available to to uh, teenagers or young kids when they got injured. So I never went. It wasn't only, it was only until my brother, my younger brother got more seriously injured that he was told to go to physiotherapy by the doctor. And my mom went and saw that this was like a great looking profession. Um, it was in healthcare sports. And so I ended up getting told by my mother <laughs> when she came home from one of my brother's appointments that, uh, you know, I should consider physiotherapy. And she brought home the requirements that, you know, one of the physiotherapists gave her, put it on the fridge. And that was basically my introduction to the profession of physiotherapy. But back to your question on whether or not I was athletic and always athletic, I, I was super passionate about sports. I loved sports. And uh, I always thought I was, you know, a decent athlete, but, you know, I don't, I, I probably think I was a lot better than I really am. But yeah, it never really went full bore into like, sports uh, like that, because, you know, 
my parents were like, Andrew, you better really study hard and, and, and get into university. So never really pursued sports like, like, like my own kids do now. Yeah. Amazing. It's funny how parents do that. I mean, we were watching the world cup and I was like, see to my oldest because they play mm-hmm. soccer and they're pretty serious about soccer. I was like, look at the refs. I mean, like, that's like a very viable career option. Like, referee. <laughs> I, was like <laughs> I was like, I can't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. But I was like, I feel like I need to introduce you to the fact that this is like a viable career option for the rest of your life because you like soccer. It's it's funny, yeah. The, those refs are, are usually pretty decent athletes too. So the, the they have to chase, a, like they they have to chase after yeah. them for like, yeah. I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> no, me neither. I couldn't keep up with those guys. No. no way. That's way too much running. Yeah, I was like the opposite as a teenager. I was under athlete. If you could be under athletic, I was under athletic. <laughs> like as soon as like after grade ten, they're like you don't have to take physical education in school anymore as like a requisite course. I was like, bye. <laughs> like, see ya. Mm-hmm, I'm going to mm-hmm. sit on the couch. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I feel like maybe I'm one of those rare people that like I'm far more fit and healthy now like than mm. I was as a kid because I was just like potato chips and couch often together. It, that was like my teenage years in a nutshell. It, it's interesting though because – I was a, a, a generalist, like in terms of sports, like I played a lot of sports, but I was, I was never really hyper-focused in anything. And, and I did play high school sports and whatnot, but I was all over the place. And then I fast forward to now as a, as a grown up, as an adult, I, I don't have the same type of problems that a lot of my patients do who specialize in sports. Interesting. Right. So things like mobility issues, because I was like a, a field athlete and I was always on my toes or because I played hockey and I was always like slanted to one side. I don't really have a lot of those type of problems that I see a lot of my clients do. And, and so there is some benefit to not being hyper-specialized at something from a young age, I think, as we get older. so Well, and I think we take it for granted too. Like when we're in our teens and 20s, we're like, oh yeah, that looks interesting. I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. Like you are going to hyper-specialize and just like, you know, like I don't just run. I now run like marathons and ultra marathons. Or you're like, uh, I've never done this sport before, but I'm going to like dive head first into it, like on the weekends kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think we take for granted that a young body as well is, um, it's just very tolerant of what we dish out. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we get a little bit older too, like you, you start to realize you're like, oh, I never, like, I never felt that. Or like, I absolutely thought I could just go, you know, pick, do some pickup basketball and like that I haven't done in years. And you're like, oh, wow. All of a sudden I'm feeling all of the things that I don't think I should because I was out there for 30 minutes. Like we forget that like, as our bodies age too, they, they change. And in order to mm-hmm. sort of like, Yeah get them to respond in the way that you want to the things that you want to do. Like they actually have certain requirements from mm-hmm. you. And I wonder like, you know, for people who are inactive, cause I think we, we think about the body like so much in our like very heavy diet culture world in aesthetics. Right. So like, and even yes. for me, and I've, I've spoken about this before on the podcast, like I hated exercise because I always associated exercise with either achieving a goal or achieving a certain body size or shape. And so it wasn't until like I learned that exercise is actually just like joyful 
and feels good mm-hmm. that like it really changed my relationship to it. And I think for a lot of people, like if they're inactive, they're like, I hate exercise. I don't want to be active. Like how does that actually change our body? Like, like what is an active body in terms of functioning versus like an inactive body in terms of functioning? I think it's really interesting if you if you look at things more fitness is more about the different systems in the body, right? There is a there's a muscular system, there is a cardiovascular system. You know, there's the 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 skeletal system and all these and you know the different energy systems as well that are are required in order to participate in different types of exercise. So it's really a matter of what happens to the body if these systems are not used. And, you know, as a result, like what will, what will happen if you do not, i.e. load the spine, load the bones, because you are always doing low impact, right? Down the road, what does that look like? Because the bones, in order for them to be strong and to develop, they need load. So that, you know, could lead to things like osteopenia or osteoporosis, because, you know, you're not loading those bones properly. And then from a, you know, cardiovascular standpoint, like what are the problems of not using and stressing that system? Well, by not using and stressing that system, we have, you know, heart disease and, you know, all the different complications with that system also from a respiratory uh, aspect as well. And, and then obviously the muscular system, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? You know, muscle atrophies, some muscles atrophy within 48 hours of injury. So it's, it's really a case of like all of these different systems deteriorate and then systems don't deteriorate in isolation. They, they, they will deteriorate together, you know, again, depending on what it is that's being, um, that, that, that they're not doing or that not, that's not, you know, that they're not being used if that kind of answers the question, hopefully. Yeah, totally. And I want to unpack a little bit there because you talked about bones and I wasn't really thinking about bones, which just goes to show this is not my area. And I was not thinking holistically about the body. You talked about loading bones because, you know, in, mm-hmm. uh, in my world, you know, bone health is like calcium, 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 like take your vitamin D, take your calcium. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's your bone health. Mm-hmm. And particularly in plant-based nutrition, there's this, this idea. They're like, oh, well, like you're, you're potentially harming your bones because like you're not getting the calcium. I mean, absolutely, you can get the calcium from a plant-based diet. But I think we forget about the movement component of keeping our bones strong. So like mm-hmm. what are those activities that actually contribute to, to bone health and both strength? Like what loads the bones? It's, it's weight. It's like weighted load. So, you know, it's typically things like lifting weights, functional compound movements that load the axial bones of the body. So the spine, the long bones and the legs and whatnot, those, those bones need weight and, you know, compression. And it's actually the like without getting into it too deeply, it's the mechanics of that load that stimulate the formation of and strengthening of new bone. So the calcium and all that, all the protein, everything that you eat, that's the input, but that for that to be then translated in the body into new healthy bone, it requires load. And so am I correct in this? Because I remember reading this somewhere, so I could be totally off base, but the idea that when you're, because people might be hearing like, oh, so if you do like weight training, like 
Isn't that for your muscles, not your bones? And my understanding is that the because the bones and the way the bones and the muscles connect, that when those muscles are contracting and when those muscles are being flexed, that they are creating that tension on the bone and that's part of that feedback that makes them stronger. Is that way off base or is that actually sort of how that works? It's, it's, I mean, there is a component to that as far as like the, the strengthening of the area where the bone and the muscles attach, it's Mm -hmm. called the emphasis. But as far as like the, the building of new trabecular bone, it's actually the, the loading of either side of the bone on either side, it actually stimulates the process of bone formation, like the, 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 within the, the actual trabecular bone. So it's, it, it, it's, it's literally compressive forces on that bone, which will stimulate the body's wonderful. It's crazy. It's amazing. Right. <laughs> you know, so that's what you, you, it's actually that input of, of compressive load that will stimulate the, the, the formation of bone. Otherwise, so what happens when, when you don't is that if you look at trabecular bone, um, you, you have, it's kind of like that, it's kind of like a crisscross in terms of, if, if I'm explaining it in a more simpler term, it's like a crisscross. And what'll happen is that you'll lose some of the crisscrossing in there. And so it becomes more hollow in the bone. And that's what makes it more susceptible to fractures and to collapse. Amazing. So you can almost think of like building your bones, like you build muscles. That's wild. Yes, yes. And so people that are uh, osteopenic or at risk for osteoporosis, a lot of the prescription for them is like loaded exercise for the like long bones of the body, axial load. Amazing. So yes, mm-hmm. your calcium, yes, your vitamin D, but load the bones. Use that yes. weight and load the bones. Okay, yes. I want to talk a little bit more about weight training because I... <laughs> It always comes back. This is going to be 100% a personal counseling session and all the things that I need to learn about my body. But one of the things, you know, maybe I should start because uh, we we had the opportunity to meet because our mutual friend, Zach Berman, uh, put us together because I had hurt myself in the pandemic. Classic, you know, gets back into running again just so she can run away from her family during the pandemic. <laughs> we all did. We all did. And And I hurt myself and I hurt myself and I had no idea. Like I was hobbling for a few days and I just, I couldn't run. There was too much pain. And, you know, I had just sort of been like living with a couple of things. One, this numbness on my left side ever since I had my second child. But then I also had this weird pain and Zach was like, you have to see my friend Drew. Like he will will figure this out. He will fix you up. And you absolutely because I had never been to a physiotherapist. And so working with you like blew my mind because you took such like a diagnostic approach to what was going on. And I had even seen, I had seen even seen like um, a vascular surgeon for the issues and be like, maybe, you know, like maybe these are my veins. He's like, no, I don't know what's going on on that side because it's absolutely fine. And the way you thought about like, what was going on in the body and how it was all connected. Because what I had thought is I had like snapped something in my lower mm-hmm. left calf because I just felt this pain. And then through working with you, you told me that it was actually my like nerves that essentially were being squeezed and causing this like hypersensitivity and hyperactivity, which mm-hmm. absolutely like blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's really interesting because 
you know, the, uh, first of all, shout out to Zach, always connect. He's just the connector of people. And yeah, I, I think when I look, think back to like your particular case, one of the things that a lot of people don't know that physiotherapists do is as we're talking to you, getting your history and, and typing away on our computers and, and, and then looking at how you move and like doing all, you know, putting through the gamut of tests is that we're actually, again, testing different systems, right? And when a certain system is injured, there's a particular mechanism, there's hallmark features of that. So, you know, a person who feels a kick or a snap in their Achilles, you know, there's some really famous athletes out there that, you know, they'll, that's kind of what they said they felt when they were doing that. And when they checked, they couldn't move their foot anymore. And they had in fact snapped their Achilles, it popped. And, and that's like a surgical thing. They're, they're kind of, you know, out for a year. And when your case, you were kind of saying those kind of things, but yet here you were running and still running and running 3k. And, and so again, we're, we're, we're testing these different systems. And as we were kind of going through your, you know, your own personal story, history, and, and some of our tests, things weren't really adding up as far as like your typical, you know, web MD diagnoses, you know, My favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. Our favorite thing. Like if you ask a physio, what could be one of their top pet peeves? And, and it's not because we don't love that people are interested in their own health and have access to information. It's just that a lot of conclusions are drawn from, you know, a simple typing in a Google search bar and I got pain in my Achilles. I think I got this. And so, you know, for you, it, it, you know, it just didn't add up. And, and as we started to narrow it down and started to look at the nervous system, and doing our tests for that, you know, things were, were kind of pointing to what we would call neuropathic pain, which, you know, eventually, after we did some diagnostic treatment, it turned out to be the case. Yeah. Well, and it's so wild, because I think, you know, for me, what my whole experience illustrated was one, it's amazing what we will live with in terms of loss oh. of function. That is actually, and part of it is because we know that it's going to be really hard to get to the root cause. Like not everyone has the skills that you do. And certainly I had asked physicians about it and they were just like, meh. And, you know, <laughs> so this idea that like in, in pregnancy, I'd had this issue with my sciatic nerve that simply didn't get bad enough, you mm -hmm. know, to, for me to figure out what happened. And then, you know, the second thing being that before the you know, the importance of strength. And I think that's really what I want to come back to because before the pandemic, I was, you know, doing strength. I was like going to Legree like two or three times a week. And I, I could, I knew that I was getting stronger, but then I left all that behind. And I think a lot of us, when we're, you know, thinking about fitness, we do exactly what I did. It was like, well, I'm just going to run. It's good for my heart. Like running is like all of the things. And I had left strength behind Mm -hmm. To the point where, like, I wasn't being supported in my fitness. And I was, I was, it was plant proof. So I was uh, listening to Simon Hill, and he mentioned a study that showed that 70% of Americans do not meet the recommendations for strength training, which wow. is like 100% me and 100%, like, I saw those negative effects. Like, even now, like, I feel my body changing. And, 
there was part of me, I was like, well, you're over 40, like embrace that change. You know, your body is meant to change. That's fine. Until I realized yet again, and I hate to admit this because I had seen you only a couple of years ago, I was like, I'm no longer doing any strength movements mm. again. Mm. And I changed that a couple mm. of months ago. And already so many things that felt out of alignment or like not at ease are already changing again. It's kind of amazing the power of strength training. And I think not enough of us give it the time and importance in our like sort of like movement regime that it needs. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Back to your point about how it, I think deeply rooted people's thought processes are with strength training and aesthetics. And it's like people think that this is only something that's done to to look a certain way. And strength training, that's like at the end of the day, that's all. And nobody really cares to be strong because we're all strong enough. And, you know, it's really, it's funny because when I started strength training as a teenager, obviously it's for all the same reasons. It's aesthetics. You want to look a certain way. You want to get attention from a certain group of people at a certain age. That's just you know, how a lot of it starts out. Um, I mean, there's like, oh, I want to be stronger for my sport, but like, I don't know, that's, that's a small portion of it. But now that I've gotten older and I've kind of changed my perspective on fitness as a whole, you know, there are the side benefits of like being fit, looking fitter with, with strength training, but it's actually more about, can I put myself in a position to participate in, in as many activities as possible for as long as possible in my life? And in order to do that, I have to have some element of strength training so that I can be as active as I want to be, participate in all the different things with my kids, ski, yeah. this, ski, snowboard, have a foot race with my kids, play basketball one-on-one with my son, run a half marathon, run a marathon. All of these different things require me to strength train. And I don't think that message is getting out. I don't think that message gets out because we're like, okay, yeah, so I'm going to run a marathon and you're just going to do the miles. But like your muscles are carrying you through those miles. And I think it's just really easy. And I think particularly for women too, the aesthetic thing comes into play because there's this idea that like, oh, well, I don't want to get quote unquote big bulky muscles. Mm -hmm. But it's like, do you like your body? Do you want it to work? And I'm saying this to myself as well because I, I continuously allow strength training to fall off my plate. Is that, yeah, if you want to be able to do that, if you want to be able to go out for your runs, if you want to be able to horse around on the playground with your kids, like your muscles are carrying you through that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because it really is, it's not a whole lot that you need to do, right? It's just, and and the movements need to be, you know, functional. And, and, you know, there's, there's different definitions of that, that, you know, even the strength conditioning world have already now they're starting to bastardize the world functional as well. But, you know, Zach, back to our friend, Zach, you know, he put me onto this book that I, I've, you know, had always wanted to read, um, but read recently he was born to run. And it's really interesting mm-hmm. because you're looking at like this, you know, the Terra Humera people and, you know, how did they get so good at what they did? But Part of it was, you know, they ran a lot um, for, you know, the hunter-gatherer type activities. But, you know, they they were working all the time, right? They're working, they're 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 using their muscles, they're loading their muscles. So it it 
provides them the ability to do all these different things because they're carrying, you know, schlepping things here to there, you know, digging, et cetera, just, just doing the things required for daily living for them. That's work. It keeps them active and they're loading, they're loading their muscles in a functional manner. You know, I don't think that people are doing that nowadays. Yeah. And I want to unpack that a little bit for like folks like me who aren't really fitness embedded because so I remember as a teenager when I like started working out, like I think I was 19 when I like I joined a gym for the first and actually only time in my life. <laughs> and no, so I got like my exercises. And so here we're like doing your bicep curls yeah. and all those kind of things. But that's not what you mean by a functional exercise. Like what, what does a functional exercise look like? I mean, typically uh, it's something that's multi-joint and uses a lot of like the larger muscle groups of the body. So the easiest way to, to, I mean, define it, I mean, back squats, deadlifts, you know, um, pressing movements and pulling movements are probably like the most functional and accessible things that you can start working on going to the gym. So I think that's as simple as it gets. Yeah. Okay. So, and the idea that you're using, you're not just trying to isolate like a specific muscle group. You're trying to use Mm -hmm. more of your body. I guess doing, you know, when I think about like function, so it's like, well, climbing a ladder or like shoveling, like those movements that we do in our Mm -hmm. everyday life use a lot of different parts of our body. So if you want to strength train, you want your strength exercises to also use like multiple parts of your body. That's right. That's right. So like, you know, things like lifting a a sack of rice from the cart into the car, you know, and there's a component there of like a deadlift and or a squat. And you're also carrying that. So you're using your biceps and, and your shoulders and your core to stabilize you. So you're not just working one muscle. And so that really is the, the, the kind of the definition of functional movement and really functional carryover. Which is, I think, one thing that a lot of people don't understand is so important. What you're doing in the gym is almost like it's very limited in its usefulness if it doesn't have functional carryover, right? So it should mimic the demand of what it is that you're training for and or like wanting to do. Right. So essentially we need like the Costco shopping training plan, like how to take (laughs) very heavy things off the shelf and put them into the bottom of your cart. Cause there's a lot of twisting. There's a lot of lunging. It's very heavy. (laughs) Honestly. And then like, I mean, right now it's, it's snowing outside. It's crazy. Like the amount of shop, like the amount of people, I mean, a physiotherapy clinic sees because of people that have put out their backs from shoveling snow, you know, probably more than we probably should. Uh, Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And it sort of speaks to this whole thing about then of like creating a a strong body to allow you to function like as you want. Like even if you're like, well, it doesn't matter to me because I'm not going to be a physiotherapist. It's like, no, like, do you want to go to Costco? Do you want to be able to like open up that jar of pickles? Do you need to be able to shovel your walk when we get the very unseasonable snow in Vancouver? And like, how, how do we create like a, a movement regime in our life to allow us to do that. And so if someone is like totally new to strength training, like what mm-hmm. do you recommend? Do you recommend always that they go see someone to build a program or are there just sort of like basic movements that are safe for us to try on our own? I, this is like, that's a great question. I definitely think that 
you know, doing things independently has a lot of value to it. But I also do believe in, you know, getting a little bit of preliminary guidance if you can is the best way to go just to see like, where are you starting from? Not everyone starts from the same place. If you have an injury, it might be good to see a physiotherapist first and then make sure that, you know, you say, here are my intention, my goals. I want to start a program and then they can get you off on the right foot and they can communicate with anybody who you'd be potentially working with in the gym you know, personal trainer or a coach or whatever, that's like the ideal way to do it. But, you know, if you don't have access to those things, there's nothing wrong with starting off very gradually with some very functional movements that you already feel comfortable with. You know, what is a variation of a squat that you're comfortable with? What's a variation of a deadlift or a hinge movement that you're comfortable with? And then start building gradually with that. At the end of the day, with respect to building out programs, it requires a certain amount of knowledge. So if you want to DIY it yourself, you can, but just be prepared to like go deep into the realms of Google and the Wikipedias of everything, just rabbit holes and, and learn. And if not, you know, go seek uh, someone who's a professional on that. And I think, you know, speaking as someone who's like not super sporty, one of the biggest, because you can, there's all these like you know, programs like the Sculpt Society and like all these things online where you can get all these workouts online and check them out yourself. I think the biggest thing too that I I would always say is make sure that you're listening to your body. If you see someone who is fit as their job doing something on YouTube and you're like, oh, I can totally do it exactly like that, but you are not fit as your job on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like the body is pretty good at telling you maybe this is not for you. So like, can we talk about the difference between, because if you're exercising, like you're going to be sore, right? Like if you are increasing your capacity, like how do we know what's like, that was just a great workout. I was like building strength versus like, like what is the pain that's not okay? The pain that's like, okay. And the pain that's not okay when you're getting fit. So, I mean, typical delayed onset muscle soreness is something that happens not typically during the workout and not immediately after. It happens the day after or typically two days after is the peak. And it usually is the muscles that that you used in that exercise are going to feel the most sore. But pain that you feel during an activity is something that you should listen to. It might, it's not always hundred percent bad, but it could be. So it's something that like pain that you feel, I always ask my clients, do you feel pain during or immediately after an activity? That might be something we need to like dive into a little bit more. Okay. So if it's the typical, like I wake up the next day and all of a sudden I can't sit down on the toilet without supporting myself, that's just maybe a lot of squats. But like if you're like in the movement and your knee all of a sudden is hurting or something is hurting when you're doing it, that's the like, mm, take a step back. Exactly. Exactly. Like you might be in the middle of, a, of an exercise, you're doing a squat, you feel sharp pain in your knee. You know, that might be something, you know, you know your body is telling you something. It's, it's what we would call a noxious or a, a aversive stimulus. And you're saying, okay, well, I, I should probably stop, see if I'm doing the technique wrong, see if I, you know, have I done something to myself and then, and then kind of recalibrate. It's the same thing as uh, a pain. Like if you're doing so the body's really interesting, right? Because sometimes it'll shut off the, 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 the signal of pain while you're doing it. And then immediately after you'll start to feel the pain. And that's also another uh, time to kind of reevaluate. 
right? And there are different things that you can do to test it to see if, you know, you've, you've done something harmful. But at the end of the day, listening to your body, like you said, Desiree, is, is number one. If it doesn't feel safe, the likelihood it's going to start to feel better, pretty low. This feels super wrong, but if I just keep going, but you know, it's amazing how often we override those signals. We override our intuition. We override our body. So, you know, I feel like it has to be said. It's like, if you feel that feeling, stop, back off, talk to your physio and like reassess. Do we have like good data to say, you know, for the, for the person who's like, I'm not aiming to be a marathoner. I'm not aiming to be a CrossFit champion. Like I just want to be well. So I want to maintain enough strength. I want to maintain enough flexibility. I want to maintain enough cardiovascular health. Like Mm -hmm. what do we know in the research about like how much should we be actually exercising like the average person? So I'm not going to be quoting any direct studies or anything like that, but I know some of the recommendations from like the National Strength and Conditioning Association in the U.S. is that, you know, from a weight training perspective, you know, you should be doing at least two to three sessions of weight training per week in order to maintain strength. So that's just to maintain. All right. And, and then from a cardiovascular perspective, you know, there are varying reports of anywhere between 30 minutes a day to, to even, even more than that per day of, of cardiovascular activity to maintain good cardiovascular and and muscular health um, in that respect. So it's funny because modern day society thinks that that's a lot. I had this conversation with myself not too long ago because I, you know, back in the day, I I remember when, you know, people would say, well, just exercise, you know, even 30 minutes, three times a week. And I think I was just sitting there probably during the pandemic. You have a lot more time to just sit there and ponder life. But I was like, if I am sitting on my butt like the entire day. I don't know how three times a week, because I was like, oh yeah, I'm working out three times a week. Like that's pretty good. Like I, I should feel proud of that. I was like, I don't know how like three times a week starts to counteract sitting on my butt <laughs> like seven days a week because I don't have, you know, it's different if you work retail or you work a physical job where you're actually on your feet, where you're moving. But like my work is located in my brain. And so I sit most of the time. And that was really the push I needed. I was like, I need to move my body every day. I don't always get there, but my goal is mm-hmm. like every single day. Like bare minimum is like you have to move every single day just to counteract like the other like 18 hours. You know, like, you know, 12 to 18 hours where you were like this. It's so true. And it's just like, you know, computers, office work and all that. That's a modern, like, that's a modern invention. And, you know, people who live um, in more rural and and, and have like much more active occupations, it's like, you told them, hey, do you do 30 minutes of like, quote unquote, cardiovascular activity per day, like doing this with elevated heart rate? They probably say, yeah, for sure. Do you (laughs) lift weights? you know, more than three times a week, they'd be like, that's it. Like, you know, if they were wearing an Apple watch and they're all working on the farm, they would be filling up their circles like every day, no problem. Right. But for the majority of us who now live life on zoom and all this, there's just, there's no way three days a week, 30 minutes 
is just not even coming close, you know? So. Well, and, you know, for the people who are like, well, then how the heck do I even fit that in? One, I think it speaks to slowing down, like, you know, putting those boundaries in place so that like you have that time in your life. But I think also it doesn't necessarily, although we do need to strength train and I'm like on that train now, but like movement just needs to be movement, right? Like there's ways that we can like build that into our family life as opposed to being like, oh, I go to the gym for this 30 minutes. Like we can do other things. Yeah. I mean, I I never mentioned, but during the pandemic, you know, gyms were closed. I wasn't going to the gym at all. And everyone just went cardio crazy, right? Everyone was running. And I was lucky enough. My wife bought me for Father's Day a set of, of, of weights. And it was not a set. It was just two dumbbells of like a decent weight. That's all I needed in order for me to get enough input into my system. So I would run and then do a little bit of these weights um, and that input was enough to, you know, cr- you know, maintain some sort of, you know, like strength, you know, s- some sort of strength uh, uh, without losing it all to just running and cardio. Um, so the point I'm making is you don't need a ton of equipment. You don't need a ton of equipment. You, I, I was doing it in my kitchen. You don't need a ton of space. You just need a little bit of knowledge, being safe with your movement, a couple of like you know, know how to do a deadlift with a dumbbell, know how to do a goblet squat, you know, some pressing movements, do some push-ups, calisthenics, all this kind of thing. You know, it's there, it's accessible in that way. So you don't have to go to Equinox and have all the fancy equipment in front of you. And I think that's so important to remember, like we are in so many ways in our modern, modern world and particularly with quote unquote wellness, we're literally just trying to compensate for the fact that we don't live the way that we used to live before and that it's not about doing anything fancy or like if you've got the money and if it keeps you motivated and you think it's fun, cool. But like Mm -hmm. the basics of this are like absolutely accessible to everyone. I, which I think is a really important message. I also, I want to talk before we wrap things up and go to the rapid fire. I want to talk a little bit because we've really talked about strength, but talking about mobility. Because, you know, maybe, maybe I remember being like so flexible and being able to do like yoga, no problem. And like being able to, to do certain moves, like, like I said, like the Costco or the Ikea and like not even thinking about all the things I'm pushing and pulling and picking up, but that changes in your body. So like, what is mobility? Let's start with what is mobility? mobility i think most is most commonly understood as like your the 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 absolute amount of range of motion that you have in you know your joints or collectively in your body as you you know put it through a movement so the most i think common thing that people look at nowadays is like how how deep can you squat and so Mobility, good mobility would mean that you can squat all the way down with your, you know, you know, what they call it, ass to grass or, or, or whatnot. So your bum all the way down your heel. And a lot of people can't do that. But a lot of people that have great mobility, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have good control of that mobility. And that's actually the key piece is doesn't matter that you can bend backwards or, or, or dislocate your arm as a party trick, if you don't have control or strength through range, 
it doesn't mean like people used to say if you could be yogi rub you know like gumby type mobile that you'd be good and it's not necessarily the case yeah i remember being a hyper flexible yogi and still not being strong like still not being able to like <laughs> open up a jar of pasta or like to be able to like carry those bags that way but i was super flexible so it's interesting i because I, I think that I would have thought of mobility as being like adjacent to flexibility, but it's it's different. It's like being able to like, yeah, take that force, like have control of that force on that range of motion. Yes, yes. And I think before people made the assumption that flexibility meant prevention. If you have flexibility, you're not going to get hurt. But it's actually, do you have control through that range of flexibility? And if you do, that's more indicative of, of you know, prevention of injury. And is that part of what doing those more like functional strength-based movements, is that helping you to build that mobility alongside because you're not just sort of in that, these isolated movements? Or do you need to do other things like doing Pilates or doing yoga in, in order to like keep that aspect of mobility there? I think that, again, like Pilates and, and, and yoga and strength training, they all have these different snippets of functional carryover. And I think that's the biggest theme I would want anyone to take away is that like, whatever it is that you're doing, where would you see this apply in daily life? And there are components of Pilates that are 100% applicable to what it is that you're doing. And in fact, a lot of it is precursor movements or precursor strength to strength training. So that's why I love things like, like Pilates and yoga, but I don't think one is a catch-all answer. And so you know, it's, it's really not so much like, should you not do one or the other? But at the end of the day, if you think one is the answer to all of your problems, you're likely not getting a well-rounded diet of movement. You know, you're not getting all the different pieces of nutrition that you need. I love that. So just exactly the way I would say you need to eat a variety of plants. We really ideally need a variety of movements. Hundred okay. percent. If you're eating the exact same vegetable all the time, thinking that you're getting the whole spectrum of plant-based nutrition, probably not, right? And so you definitely need to vary it. If all I'm doing is my 5K runs, my pelvic floor musculature is gonna just fall to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like you know it, when I started eating way too many carrots, and then I started to turn a little, a little orange. Like, uh, oh, maybe I should stop eating just carrots. Bring in some cauliflower and some kale to the mix. Okay, I love right? that. So, <laughs> so for everyone listening, you know, I feel like a major take home is we all need more strength. So if you are not currently focused on strength training movements, you need to get some of that into your life, like ASAP, make it functional, and then also ensure that you're doing a wide variety of movements. So yeah, sometimes sometimes yoga with a friend, sometimes going for a walk, you know, doing your strength, playing, you know, playing catch or soccer with your kids, like do all of the things. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's, let's uh, shift into rapid fire. So I close every episode with rapid fire questions. Nice, nice softballs. Easy. Okay. Uh, okay. First is the meal you will never stop craving. Burgers. Burgers? Like a specific mm -hmm. burger or all burgers? I, yeah, probably just, bur just the format of, of what a burger is, you know, bread with stuff in between. Love it. <laughs> yeah. The conditioning exercise you hate the most? Running. 
All right. But I do it every day. That is amazing discipline and dedication. (laughs) I hate this and I will do it every single day. (laughs) The best book you've read in the last year? Ooh, the best book I've read in the last year, Antifragile by Nassim Taleb. Okay, we'll put that one in the show notes. I'm intrigued. You have 20 minutes all to yourself. You are not allowed to be productive at home or productive at work. What do you do? So the good answer would be play piano. The bad answer would be play video games. (laughs) Or a combination of the two. You can have it all. You can have it all. (laughs) Yeah, 10 minutes of one and 10 minutes of the other. Okay, last one, because I know you're into sneakers. What's your current favorite pair of sneakers? Mm, So the Jordan 1 Chicago Lost and Founds. It just came out. It's a classic remake of the the original 1985 release. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. My husband could have some conversations about sneakers. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I am not the person with all the shoes in this house, amazingly enough. Yeah, I take up more closet space than my wife, for sure. I love this episode so much. As a deeply nerdy practitioner myself, I love meeting with other nerdy practitioners who also inspire me on a personal level to change my own beliefs and my own outlook. Most of my life, I either A, hated exercise or B, used exercise as a means to an aesthetic And Andrew's perspective has really sort of solidified like to my bones, the idea that exercise is a means of self-care and it helps to offer my body what it needs to thrive. I'm actually very excited to learn more about this part of my wellness and I feel a little bit bad that it's taken me so long to get started, but that all changes today, right? We're all in this together. I hope this conversation did the same, at least a little bit for you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All Sorts Podcast, which is produced by myself and edited by Brian McCalman. We are grateful to live and work on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Until next time, friends, be well. Be well.